So I have an icebreaker question that I think could be fun for other people at home to ask people too. Fun. Are you holding a secret for a stranger? I have never held a secret for a stranger. I don't think I'm holding a secret for a stranger. But I will say that one time, two summers ago, I worked at the gift shop for the vessel at Hudson Yards, which is that really, really ugly, like, structure that they put in Hudson Yards, Mm -hmm. right? I worked at the gift shop for that. But, like, that's the the Intrepid. No, I did not work at the Intrepid. It just was the same company. Are you serious? You told me you worked at the Intrepid that whole time. That's because that's what the job description said, so I've just been calling it that since. That's insane. Why would you, like, (laughs) (laughs) lie? Wait, you told us... I just was too lazy to not say that... <laughs> this is news to me. <laughs> did you really work at Red Robin too, or was that? <laughs> no, I did work at Red Robin. Unfortunately, I did. Um, so basically, yeah, I worked at the gift shop of the vessel, and this one guy. I was like ten minutes until my break, and I was just standing there. This guy, who is like wearing all white and has <laughs> and is a ginger, and he has oh. hair about a little past his shoulder and like a beard. He busts in to the door and he's like i need you to watch my cat <laughs> your cat so he was he was he was holding he a was cat holding uh-huh. a, a cat. cat he yeah. was holding a cat in like a little cat container thing mm-hmm. and he busted he's like i need you to watch my cat he was like well, who better than the cashier at the intrepid gift shop to give my cat to the vessel gift shop <laughs> oh right this is the first i'm hearing of the, like for the past like three years i've always been saying the intrepid uh, I, that's a your guess is as good as mine one time like we have little keychains with the vessel on them and one time somebody was like they should put a guy jumping off <laughs> on the keychain and I was just like I just because oh, five people have killed themselves oh the oh 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 I was gonna say like okay like edgelord but it's actually <laughs> no, just like yeah. a really morbid joke okay yeah. oh my god I like don't even really know what the vessel is like I don't it's I guess like it really is really ugly sculpture. Yeah. Okay. And so, Three, like, wait, how many people have jumped off of it? Like four or five. I thought it was like. I Why commit suicide off of an ugly structure? Although you know what, good on them for tainting that gentrified building. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, honestly, they were doing like, us. They should. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this guy busts in. And he has a very thick European accent, too. So, he, And I'm like, I'm standing there completely speechless. And he's like, I have an event in five minutes. And I need someone to watch my cat. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, maybe I should get my manager. Like, my manager that can man watch his cat. That man was, like, 100% from the future. Yeah. Like, and... Um, he just keeps being like, please, like, I won't even, like, I won't even fault you if she escapes. Like, <laughs> feel like what if he was spot. planning on jumping off of the vessel and he was like, I just need to, like, give my cat to somebody. <laughs> that was the event. That was the event. The cat, by the way, was like this very fluffy white cat. It's exactly what I would have imagined. <laughs> yeah. A part of me wanted it to be ginger like him, but like no. I could totally see it being super bougie, fluffy white cat. By the grace of God, my manager walks in to yeah. give me my break as this is happening, and I'm like, "Yeah, sorry, dude." And then I just left. A part of me wishes that you had ca- you had taken the cat though. That felt like you you rejected the call to action. That was going to be the start of your journey. It was like a talking cat that plagued him and turned him ginger. <laughs> So I guess, okay, so you weren't asked to hold a secret for a stranger, but you were asked to hold a cat for one. <laughs> yes. Um, have you ever, do you hold a secret for a stranger? I do. I feel like, I don't know, 
asking this question, I guess, like requires some betraying of trust, but I, he would never know. Um, I yeah. Once when I was on a plane, a man admitted that he was having an affair. Uh, on his wife to me and he was like you know we're never gonna see each other again and then he wanted a secret from me you know I mean he didn't like demand it but I, I talked to him about like my personal life and I thought that was really interesting um but you know I don't know now I'm nervous that he's gonna leak my st- he's gonna start a counter podcast <laughs> <laughs> called what's to be <laughs> um so you know but protect my anonymity as I I do yours man on the plane or maybe it was like my Brad Pitt moment, you know, in Fight Club when like they meet on the plane. Yeah. Maybe he was a figment of my imagination the whole time. Like my guy. <laughs> like, yeah, just like your guy. Well, you know, I think it's a fun game to play and you should ask your friends at home uh, if they're holding a secret for a stranger because uh, most people are. Everybody that I've asked that question to has said like they've had or either have had a crazy interaction with a stranger trying to like ask something of them or they've told a secret. Like I've, I've heard some really crazy answers. Um, that being said, <laughs> um, I'm Evangelia. And I'm Emily. And welcome to What's Gonna Happen. Have you heard about the Cherry Hill Mall? No, what is that? Apparently, it's this mall in New Jersey that enforced this rule last month that teenagers were not allowed to be there unsupervised during certain hours. Wow, Zoomies must be sick and tired of being pillaged by high schoolers, huh? I think every store is tired of being ravaged. I mean, that checks out. I never stole, but you used to walk out of Sephora with like 16 Morphe palettes up your ass. (laughs) I convinced you to try to steal once. (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. And you were the bad influence. You influenced me to help you steal my parents' car that time when we were 15. (laughs) And both times we got caught. So obviously theft is not my strong suit. Um, I thought we were talking about Cherry Hill Mall. Why are we going over my criminal record right now? You're like, you stole a car. You stole. (laughs) You knocked off a mall. I just think it's so interesting because malls back in the day, like, malls were the hangout spot for teenagers. Mm -hmm. I guess that's just because suburbia and, like, American suburbia does not offer many third locations for young people. It's just kind of crazy that teens are being barred from what used to be one of the only public places that would accept them. And people are not going to malls the way they used to either, so, like, they should be grateful, the mall, that people want to go. Yeah, that teens are stealing from them. (laughs) At least they're making it look busy. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine having, like, one cool place to go and then being banned from going there without supervision how are kids supposed to vape in the parking lot if their parents are there and also like it feels insensitive to parents of like low-income households who might not be home by the time their kids are free and ready to go out with their friends that kind of thing is why third locations are so important so do you want to define like third spaces third locations for those of whom that do not know okay so a third location is a concept by this sociologist ray oldenburg basically it's like your first place is your home Your second place is work. And so your third place is somewhere you hang out that's neither of those places. A bar is a third place. A restaurant is a third place. A mall is a third place. Yeah. So today we basically want to talk about the decline of third locations in the world. Between the aftermath of COVID regulations, the increase in cost of living in America, and the influx of hostile architecture, existing in a space separate from your home, school, or work is way harder than it used to be. 
Yeah, during COVID, hours obviously changed. Like, I feel like the idea of a 24-hour establishment used to be way more common. Mm -hmm. I guess the business pressures of COVID, the the health risks, and the rise in crime made it a lot harder to, like, open early and close late. But, like, it never really bounced back after things started to clear up. Why do you think that is? Probably because they realized it was cheaper to keep that shit closed. Like, crime is still up and the pandemic isn't completely over. Also, no one is really complaining about it. So these places are like, why are we spending money? Well, we're complaining about it. Well, as we do. I just think it's so disheartening to have to, like, scavenge for places to just exist. You know, I remember when people were partying in Washington Square Park over summer 2021. Unfortunately. Because, like, clubs hadn't really reopened all the way. And, like, the ones that had reopened were even more insanely expensive than before. To be fair, it was a public health hazard. I mean, by that point, people were going back to work. You know, people were expected to share space, be on public transportation, all that. Is any of that any less of a hazard, really, than occupying, like, a park together? It's outside. Honestly, good point. Like, I feel like they opened, like, work and stuff, but kept all the fun places closed. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of get it because it's, like, you know, mask regulations are easier to enforce at work. But, like, going to a park should have been as allowed as riding the train. Like, I don't think that the risk would have been any different. You know, and it was kind of cool. It was, like, all the young people in the city, each corner of the park would have different kinds of music from the speakers people brought in. You know, people from all around were, like, performing for each other. It felt kind of like a normal summer for once. So are you saying something along the lines of, like, Wash 2021 was, like, our Woodstock? (laughs) Yep, that would be the case. Except that no one was profiting from it. So when the city caught on, they made a rule that the park had to close at 10 p.m. every night. So just, like, I mean, the idea of Wash having to close is so ridiculous, especially considering that it was, like, literally a bedroom for so many people in New York. It's just disturbing that when you try to do something as a community to take up space, you know, it's and, like, not only that space is taken away, but the people who are disenfranchised lose even more privileges than they thought they had to some people our third locations are their first locations i mean yeah i saw that up close that summer remember when i accidentally harbored a runaway i do remember that do you want to tell people that story so that same summer summer 2021 um same summer when the cat thing happened too Mm -hmm. um my friend and i threw a party at her house and made the grave mistake of making the address public and posting it all over Instagram. <laughs> you cannot post a flyer on Instagram and expect kids not to end up smoking meth in your house and stealing your Apple remote. And the Apple remote was stolen, the carpet was vomited on, in the first 10 minutes, the water tower was graffitied, and her demented old neighbor wandered into the party at one point. <laughs> Everyone thought it was a ghost. <laughs> yes. I thought it was a ghost, but I was like, chill with it. And the building's fire alarm was pulled too. All of the petals of every flower in the house were plucked off and scattered around like i cannot stress this enough kids were smoking meth in the living room like at least do it in the bedroom like a normal teenager it was such a mess like i remember i really wanted (laughs) chips ahoy and they were on my friend's bed and there were two people on the bed in k-holes and the chips ahoy (laughs) was right in between them so i literally slowly reached over (laughs) and like ran out like i was just was like don't mind me (laughs) um but it's like that's what happens when kids are desperate for third spaces and they finally get their hands on them but have no concept of etiquette because they haven't had practice existing in them like if you took a bunch of european kids who have been clubbing since they were 14 and put them at the house party sure everyone might have been strung out on ghb or whatever but at least the bathtub drain wouldn't have been stuffed with toilet paper exactly 
basically, I met this kid at this party and they told me that they ran away from home because their parents weren't accepting and they were planning on spending the night in Tompkins Square Park. And I don't know, like, they just tugged at my heartstrings. Like, I was sympathetic to them. So I did the really noble thing of offering up somebody else's house for them to stay at that night. I was going to be like, you didn't even, you're like, I'm so sympathetic. That was not even your crib. (laughs) Yes, that's true. It was our friend's house. But yeah, they stayed with us. The next morning, I was woken up by a loud-ass knock on the door, and police open up. And the cops came, and they freaked out at us because, apparently, the kids' parents located them and called the cops, and we were harboring a runaway. Damn, no third location <laughs> for that kid. Although, I kind of understand their parents' concern. Like, if they were as young as they were, and they were trans, and they were planning on sleeping on a park bench, a Tompkins bench at that. Ultimately, young people don't even know what to do with third spaces when they do get access to them. And then it becomes this catch-22 of, like, no one wants their space messed up or stolen from, you know? Of course, Amal is going to implement a ban on unsupervised teens if they can't stop stealing from them. And, of course, we would refuse to throw a party again because the house was destroyed and the cops almost charged you for grand theft non-binary teens. that is very true uh they did steal our friend's credit card from out of her dresser at that party they also stole her limited edition my chemical romance funko pop which is more value in my opinion no they did a service that's one less funko pop i have to look at (laughs) young people like always have been a nuisance to the public you know we're not saying that's new it's just that there used to be more outlets for annoying young people so they didn't have to get all their annoying out in one hyper destructive bout Yeah, but I do want to say, I feel like we might be making it seem like COVID is the reason for all of this, but in reality, it more so accelerated something that was already happening. The lack of accessible third locations is a function of how America is laid out. We're very fortunate to live in New York, which is the only exception to this, but in most places, you're home, you're in your car, you're at work. The people in power do not want us to hang out. Yeah, the government is banning being chill and having good vibes. They always do. I think it's interesting that you bring up cars. You know, I'm sure you'd be the first to agree that in a car-based society, the opportunities to explore potential third locations is, like, way more limited. My mom always tells me about what it was like being a punk in the 70s here in New York and how if you walked far enough in any direction, you'd happen upon a party or a venue or a band's show. You know, there were flyers for functions and newspaper boxes and on bulletin boards. You did kind of have to sleuth, but it didn't take as much from you when you did find something you know like you didn't have to pay 25 dollars to get in somewhere and i mean we've even seen in this past year alone how inflation's affected door covers for parties yeah oh my god and cars also take up a lot of space like things that could be potential third locations are paved over to be parking lots and highways and drive throughs we just live in this nation of eyesores because we were nationally cucked by Henry Ford. <laughs> exactly. And it's the same idea with hostile architecture. Everywhere you see benches with the seat removed because they're limiting seating without those little borders to prevent people from laying down on them or spikes in corners so people can't post up there. You know, even fire hydrants have points on them in many places so that people don't like rest on them it's like they're not only displacing homeless people they're also limiting free outdoor seating for everyone like old people are always like kids don't ever just play outside anymore like yeah look at the outside that you created do you know who jane jacobs is i i think i do but if you want (laughs) to jane jacobs was a writer who wrote books about urban planning and development and she is what you would consider an urbanist what was that what did she call herself that you liked an urban naturalist yeah something like that an urban naturalist basically she loved cities and was very against urban sprawl and heating cities to cars she just developed ideas about like what a good city is and how there's systems of their own that can operate in a variety of ways Mm -hmm. city girl behavior 
yeah, she is a huge reason why New York isn't more car dependent. Uh, there's this article by Nathaniel Rich in The Atlantic called Did Jane Jacobs Predict the End of the U.S.? where they summarize a speech she gave, and it says, quote, from the article, Her main argument was Kirk's. Small neighborhood stores, ignored by the planners in their grim demolition derby, were essential social hubs. She added that sidewalks, stoops, laundries, and mailbox areas were also indispensable centers of community activity, and that sterile, vacant outdoor space served nobody. The least we can do, she said, is to respect, in the deepest sense, strips of chaos that have a weird wisdom of their own. She's so smart. I love that. And it it is inherently racist, like what's happening, because those strips of chaos that she's talking about were sometimes the only safe space working class people, many of whom are pe- were people of color, are able to congregate peacefully. You know, community oriented leisure time outdoors has been a staple of city based people of color forever. And white people oftentimes feel threatened by that sense of community, I think, because their own internalized fear that large unified groups of POC are going to take revenge on them or something. You know, I mean, the whole Karen thing is usually white white women trying to push POC out of spaces that are for everybody by victimizing themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's also that thing that a lot of the areas of cities that were paved over for highways were areas that had a lot of people of color living in them. Mm-hmm, totally. Um, and it's just like all of these these highways and hostile architecture and all of the stuff is why it just feels illegal for people to exist in America. Like, mm-hmm. it's disgusting how people are pushed out by hostile architecture. Like, the other day, G and I were out waiting to check out an apartment and we were waiting on the sidewalk and Gia was like, is this illegal? Like, I feel like we're doing something wrong. Well, like, why? She felt like you guys were loitering. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I get that. I, I live in a building with mostly old people. And whenever I'm in the stairwell or in the park attached to the building or anything, there's always older women who are convinced that I don't belong here. Like, I don't know why, but I've had multiple people literally scream at me for loitering in my own building. Like, yell at me and call me names like I need to leave. The isolation promotes that kind of, like, paranoia and suspicion yeah the less you're exposed to other people the less tolerant you are when you see them that's exactly why like traditionalist types are attracted to rural areas and not cities as much like the article from the atlantic Mm -hmm. that i mentioned earlier also says that and i quote jacobs likely encountered henry Perens, medieval cities, their origins, and the revival of trade, which explained how cities promoted democratic values and which she cited frequently throughout her career, end quote. Everyone add that to your Kindle, Henry Perens, medieval cities. I literally am going to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Kindle? Yeah, you, on your Kindle or, or your preferred brand of e-reader. Go to a library. That's a third space. Boom. Your neighborhood's been getting gentrified heavy in the past however many years yeah i mean it's insane to live in a place for over 20 years and just watch it transform into this weird glass kingdom like there used to still be prostitutes on my avenue when i was a kid there used to be more family-owned restaurants and markets and barbershops hardware and jewelry stores like you know those small businesses the bar across from my house like had invited local graffiti artists to make a collaborative mural that was always evolving with like new stickers and tags like it was just it felt way more like a community but ever since like everything started getting bought out you know like even that bar got bought out and they painted over it gray and just like moved on you know or like they built one of the most expensive private schools in new york or even in the country i think a block away from the projects like right next to my house and refused to fill the quota that they promised of kids that would come to the school from those projects 
So a certain number of kids from the projects were supposed to go there for free. Yeah, and they don't honor that quota. Like they're—I I mean, last I heard, there's a documentary about it. I don't want to dox myself by naming names, but like you could probably find out what I'm talking about. You know, but yeah, they they blocked the view of the river from all the government buildings on the avenue with those huge new skyscrapers, and like I, even that, like even visual space is being revoked from people. Investors tried to buy out the buildings that I live in and turn them into condos, but since it's government buildings, like they didn't end up pulling through. I mean, I will say that as a white woman from the Upper East Side, I have never been pushed out of my neighborhood, but I do see gentrification in places that you would never even believe. Yeah, I mean, I saw Brownsville Apartments going for $3,000 on Zillow in Brownsville. They are going to gentrify every single neighborhood in New York with train access. They need to stop manifesting motherfucking destiny because I'm not good with the grand scale change for the worst, like just in general, personally. I mean, they're about to tear down an entire block of buildings that's been across the street from me my whole life to build up this new commercial building. It's got a public tennis, like the, the, the block itself has a public tennis court, a small dry cleaners, a taco place that's been there since I was little, and the most ghetto McDonald's known to man. <laughs> Wasn't there like a dead body in front of your McDonald's for days many times many times and and Flem in the food often and it always smelled like wet paper towel but it was the mcdonald's i rolled my first joint in when i was 14 and it was the mcdonald's my grandma took me to before she started dying and like it, it was it was a community definitely community's place even if it was like kind of nasty and not kept well like and i know it's like counterintuitive because it's, it is like a mcdonald's like it's a huge capitalist place but just like the fact that it existed where it did and it served as a safe space for the people in my neighborhood like that I still consider that like a third space that is now being... Yeah, that McDonald's was a staple of your neighborhood. Yeah, literally a haunted house. But every night I've gone to bed since they've taken it down and I've li I've thought about it. I've like, I've shed a tear. You know, I mean, I've had a lot of grief in my life recently. Um, and I think I've been thinking a lot about death and how when people die, you don't just lose them. A lot of the time you lose the space they once occupied. And like, you know, I'm kind of thinking about that happening alongside the removal of all of these spaces that I'm so familiar with. And it's just scary to have like, less safe spaces when accessible spaces are limited in general yeah i mean like we associate these spaces with certain times in our lives so seeing establishments just get pushed out is really sad sometimes yeah it can it feels personal being an adult in new york feels like 40 percent like just walking around and being like oh this place used to be that place yeah and as time goes by it's like the the places they become seem to get more and more unrelatable like hipster food places and banks and stuff <laughs> That's all of Brooklyn now. It's just hipster food places and banks. All those places with like bright neon lights and like fake flowers mm -hmm. and fake grass that are all like positioned to be Instagrammable. Yeah, things that like aren't conventionally atmospheric and even seem kind of tacky in real life but show up better on camera than like real things. Or even those pop-up places like the pizza museum or the ice cream museum or all those like immersive color shows that are just projectors. They're just projectors. <laughs> My girlfriend went to one of those on our anniversary called the life of a neuron which like projected <laughs> into the entire room like the like projected images of a neuron like and they showed the neuron aging and dying too mm -hmm. and falling apart it was very scary um and this place literally and i cannot make this up advertised itself as existing at the intersection of art and technology <laughs> naturally <laughs> I was sufficiently freaked out. Like, I got scared. <laughs> I hate an experience at the intersection of art and technology. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like my experience at the intersection of art and technology. I was ready to cry when the neurons died, okay? Aww, well, that means it was touching, I guess. It really was immersive. But it also you. was extremely scary. <laughs> so your problem with it isn't that it was boring or inauthentic. You just got scared. I mean, it was also boring and inauthentic. It was both boring and scary. Like, why am I bored and thinking about death right now? Right. I can 
go to my parents' house and have dinner with them to do that. I do not need to go to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're all like, they're all just sets, like new establishments and urban planning is like now it's all meant to create like the best Instagram sets possible. And they're not even like good Instagram pictures. No shade. I mean, I, I, I went to the pizza museum with you. Like we all went out together. Like it's just the equivalent basically of those cardboard cutout face whole things at amusement parks. Like they're corny and like they're destroying real free places and creating fake expensive ones in their place. Yeah, the lines between, like, online and reality are increasingly blurred. And maybe one day when the metaverse comes out, we won't even have to worry about which is which at all and the distinction won't even matter. Right, and when we say online, we don't even just mean social media. Like, it's just online as a place, like, total. Yeah, like, shit like remote work and virtual menus and online gaming. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, virtual menus, that's a good one to bring up. And, yeah, it's a, like, the way we spend time online <laughs> it saves paper though like but like i get it you know but yeah the way we spend time online is like more like we're in a place than we're indulging a platform like we have to dedicate real time to it and we have to learn the language of it and we have to navigate it and learn the customs of it there's a deep history already there are subcultures in it we go somewhere and we go into the cyberspace and the time we spend there is the time we spend in real life too i talked a little bit about that in the first episode but the gravity of that has been like freaking me out recently also, that interactive aspect of the internet also makes it a place in the way that other media just isn't. Like, Zuck is trying to capitalize on that and solidify it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm pretty unimpressed with what I've seen of the metaverse so far. I mean, IMVU seems more aesthetically pleasing than the concept art they've released, like, recently. They look like fucking bitmojis. They're so ugly. Oh, yeah. The metaverse should just look like IMVU. Like, the Instagram <laughs> face bitches would love that. IMVU, like, invented Instagram face. And I'm convinced that we are gonna, at some point, be able to create avatars that can, like, cross platforms and literally move through cyberspace. Like, an elevated bitmoji that can serve as, like, a culmination for all of your social media platforms and interests. I feel like just the format of the internet is gonna change in a really crazy way. And I don't really want that because I like having a different vibe on each app. Mm -hmm. I get that. When I went to CPAC, there was this booth that had VR headsets that you could put on and, like, attend CPAC virtually, which, like, didn't what? make much sense to have it there because it's, like, I'm at real CPAC. Yeah, well, I was like, like why do I need to be at fake CPAC? Mm -hmm. But it's being developed for future use so people can, like, attend CPAC from their homes. It's, like, part of this bigger push for like a fully conservative version of the metaverse mm -hmm. yeah look i support that let's leave the metaverse to the conservatives so they can exist there with their nfts and not in the real world just let them matrix themselves yeah they literally said they wanted to create a quote-unquote second option for reality it's a collaboration between like the japanese conservative union and space view what i mean hey, look if their avatars are hotter than zucks i guess that's where i'll be yeah an easy woman to sway you are on a visual platform looks are everything fair point i mean look the increase in virtual spaces isn't a bad thing it's that the decline of physical spaces is and i think that people are nowadays looking to virtual spaces as a replacement instead of working harder to create new third spaces that's a great point definitely and that replacement shows, I think, in the way people's nostalgia has been manifesting. Like, I've been seeing a lot of TikToks recently that are, like, screen recordings of people's Explore pages and For You pages from years ago. Literally just scrolling through content that was popular years ago. And people being like, remember when everything looked like this? As if they're reminiscing about a place. 
I mean, I actually kind of disagree with you there. Like, I think stuff like that is more like the equivalent of reminiscing about like 90s sitcoms or 70s music. I get that the internet is more like a place than a piece of media, but I think it's just like normal nostalgia behavior. But I mean, when people reminisce about TV and movies, it's because they serve as cultural landmarks that remind people of where they were in that point of their lives. And I think with parasocial relationships and the sheer amount of time we spend on the internet, it's more like we're remembering being on the internet or rather, or like even in the internet at that time. You know, when you reminisce about Seinfeld, it's not like you were interacting with the characters or spending more than, you weren't able to spend more than 30 minutes at a time watching each episode, like in the 90s. When we remember being online in certain eras, we're not just talking about what we were passively consuming in short periods of time we were talking about how we were contributing to that the nostalgia of watching nickelodeon as a kid isn't the same kind of nostalgia as scrolling tumblr as a tween because one you were seeing and the other you were being you know what i mean i mean yeah it's kind of like in tween especially with like tumblr or twitter but with tiktok for you pages specifically it's like those are nostalgic because they remind you of what you were doing in real life at the time like tiktok is way more passive yeah i mean i would argue that based on how that's like that's all based on how you use it you know i think the nostalgia for any media you contribute to is going to blur the lines between a memory of existing in a space versus the memory of passively consuming because it's not just that you're reminded by like the videos that you're watching on tiktok of what you were doing outside of tiktok you might instead be reminded of like who you were on the internet at that time those are memories of your internet identity and even though that is more passive than your quote-unquote real life memories it's still more active than like nostalgia from watching tv or something yeah i mean i agree it's like an in-between mm -hmm. i saw this tweet by the user at miss placenta on twitter which I like that username. That was basically like, the thing about romanticizing sitcom friend group hangouts is that they don't exist anymore. The epicenter of friendship is no longer physical. It's in your group chat called cunty little babies or something like that. And like, I, I like that tweet because like, I mean, for us, that's not 100% true. Everyone is always at my house or Ash's house or somewhere. But Or in our group chat, 9-11 firefighters support group. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that tweet kind of read us. Yeah. <laughs> um, it does seem to be a lesser extent yeah, than like it was in the 90s. Yeah, like people were hanging out like yeah. in public spaces. Yeah, and like people are super nostalgic for the places in sitcoms. Like people are turning their living rooms into replicas of Monica's house from Friends or the apartment in the Big Bang Theory. Like I've been seeing like a lot of that. And I don't know, do you think that that's just like a thing amongst pop culture super fanatics or does it indicate something bigger about people craving more communal spaces? I think it's a bit of both. Like people mm -hmm. have always been kind of crazy about pop culture, but I think even the average person can relate to wanting communal spaces and the real fantasy of being able to afford a massive apartment in Greenwich Village on a single person income. The urban sprawl and creation of suburbia and subsequently the creation of social media spaces has kind of turned us into hermits. Yeah, we're like, we're mammals that have forced ourselves into an ant colony-like way of living. Right, and like you hear people reminisce about college so much and how it was like the best time of their lives, but I think what they're really nostalgic for is that a college campus is a walkable city. It's also why New York is so attractive to people. It's true. We have that on L.A. Yeah, every time people from L.A. shit on New York, I just walk up to my sink, turn my sink on, and get a glass of water, and I drink it. Can they do that? Uh, exactly. <laughs> also, like, walkable cities allow for nature in ways that car-reliant cities don't. Walkability requires parks, trails, and forests. Yeah, suburbia, like, has the veneer of being eco-friendly, but in mm. reality, it's kind of worse for the environment. Yep, don't be fooled by lawns. Return to biodiversity. With cities, it's like, yes, you have this central area with a shit ton of pollution, but they're smaller areas of pollution than these huge sprawls of suburbia with, like, 
thousands upon thousands of cars just emitting carbon dioxide and fucking fumes into the air. Like, suburbia paves over way more land. The cars emit way more greenhouse gases. Yeah, and according to the article, is it more sustainable to live in a city or suburbs by Rose Morrison? Quote, the city is more densely compacted, therefore it takes less energy and resources to power buildings, which reduces total greenhouse gas emissions. On the other hand, suburban areas are larger with more spacious homes. Many city residents don't have lawns so they conserve water and reduce the use of pesticides. So... Take with that what you will. Boom. Did you guys know that LA's air pollution is the worst in the entire country, according to the American Lung Association? The American Lung Association cannot find out how much I vaped in high school. Let's get the American Lung Association on that. Which is worse, the air pollution in LA or the air pollution in Evangelia's lungs? It's the age-old question. Basically, the moral of the story is that LA's air pollution is so bad because of cars. Fuck cars. Unless I'm in the car and it smells like leather and the AC is on and we're riding down the highway playing Flo Millie. So the moral of the story is actually that we need more third places that smell like leather and play girl rap. A.K.A. my room on a Saturday. As it should be. But yeah, third places definitely need a renaissance. The article Third Places as Community Builders by Stuart M. Butler and Carmen Diaz identifies some ways that this can happen. They say that, quote, one important step is to make sure zoning accommodates mixed-use functions in otherwise residential areas. Bus routes and convenient stopping points can also be critical to the survivability of a third place. Retrofitting public spaces and exploring new architecture and use of space is also essential. Small design changes can encourage interaction between groups that might otherwise be cut off from each other. And they also touch on the importance of more disability-friendly places, referencing the Gallaudet University, the Washington, D.C. University for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing, which has launched a deaf space initiative and has been working with architects, students, and community members to design spaces within their campus uh, and the surrounding neighborhood that are way more accommodating and inclusive for those with hearing loss. Exactly. If you make places more accessible to people, people will come. And on an individual level, just like having more gatherings. I saw this idea on TikTok that's like host a dinner party where everyone has to bring a friend that no one's met before to encourage more ways for people to get to know each other and create safe spaces. That is so fun. We should do that. Right? I think ideas like that are just like going out in groups and taking up space in communal areas, especially if your group is made up of marginalized people is really important. You know, I think people complain. I mean, I'm people, but like people complain that the scene is dead because there's less intimacy and authenticity in virtual space. But, you know, we, we are able to redefine that if we make an active effort. You know, like I mean, I don't I don't really make that much of an active effort. I need to do that more. I don't really feel like going out as much anymore as I used to. But that's something that I need to get over. Do you think do have you had that experience or no? No, COVID made me want to go out even more. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm not a shut in because of COVID. I mean, I'm not really a shut in at all. I'm just lazy and depressed. A lot of people are more agoraphobic than ever, though. Like, I've, I've seen a lot of women our age talk about how they haven't left their house in months, and the idea of facing the outside world is too draining or intimidating. COVID has made a lot of people, like, really agoraphobic. People kind of realize that they don't have to go outside with delivery services and all that. And I understand that. But um, that being said, Emily, do you, want, do you want to kind of end with your quote and share your quote? Yes, I do. The queen and MVP of this episode, Jane Jacobs, wrote in her piece, The Death and Life of Great American Cities, cities have the capability of providing something for everybody, only because and only when they are created by everybody. And with that, thank you all for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at What's Gonna Happen Pod or on Twitter at WGH Pod. And from the intersection of art and technology, this has been <laughs> What's Gonna Happen. <laughs>